Thank you all for checking out Convergence. Today you are listening to a conversation with my wife, Sarah. In the podcast, we talk about my childhood and how it affected me as a young adult. Check out our website at convergenceva.com. There you will find featured artists and their artwork, as well as past and present podcasts. You can also find Convergence on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. You're listening to Convergence Podcast for the wanderer, cynic, and half-empty. What's up, everybody? I'm here with my wife, Sarah, and today we're going to be discussing my childhood. Uh, How are you doing this fine evening? Fine. How are you, honey? I'm doing pretty good. I'm a little jittery because I've been drinking a lot of coffee, but otherwise I'm well. So. Well, tell us your story. Okay. So I start off my story about three years old. My parents got a divorce and I was living with my mom. And about a year later, give or take, I don't really know the exact details, but my mom had had enough, and she um, dropped us off at our dad's, and I've been told most of my childhood that I was dumped off at my dad's doorstep, which always bothered me and made me feel pretty crummy, Um, but um, so my dad took over custody, and we were going to elementary school. Um, I was bullied a lot in elementary school, and I would cry a lot, and my dad wasn't really a source of comfort um, in that. He was he was a pretty angry man. Um, he's in a couple different relationships that ended. I don't know why, um, but then he wound up meeting this woman um, right around when I was maybe six or seven years old. And they got married, and I remember the first time I met her, um, she came to the house, and I was real nervous and excited, and she picked me up and danced with me to a country song in the kitchen, and I was real excited, you know, I thought, this is cool, I have a second mom, you know, because part of me felt like I didn't, ha- you know, I didn't have a mom full time, so it was always something I wanted. So this would be a something cool. I'd have two moms. Um, soon after they got married, things turned for the worse very quickly. Um, she started to abuse me, and um, she just would go psycho she would be fine one minute and the next minute she'd be hysterically angry um i remember her choking me out and digging her nails into my face while she screamed at me slapping me beating me she'd have me stand in a room for 
literally hours. I would watch the room get darker and darker, you know, as the sun was setting. You know, I the room would just get darker and darker and darker. And I remember she would um, always manipulate my dad. She would make it seem like we were acting up. We'd be playing just like a normal kids would play. You know, not really, you know, we knew what to, was right and wrong. So we'd be playing, you know, not doing anything bad. And she would just storm over and start beating on, on us or choking us or yelling at us or a combination of the both. And then we'd be, we'd have to stand there and then she'd go get my dad and my dad would be yelling at us. And as he was scolding us, she would stand behind him and just with a big old grin on her face, just smile and nod and, you know, just like rub it in our face the whole time. I remember being so angry when she did that. And their relationship was rocky too. They would fight a lot and scream and yell. And so we would have to listen to that and... I remember one time she actually got physical with my dad and he called the cops, but he didn't seem to care if she was physically abusing us. And this, this went on, the physical abuse went on for years. It probably, I think it didn't stop until I was probably maybe somewhere between 14 and 16 is when the physical abuse stopped because I was getting older and able to stand up for myself. I remember one of the last times I was physically abused was she choked me and I was so mad. I raised my fist up like I was going to punch her in the face and she said, do it, do it. And I didn't do it. Which, to my recollection, there has not been um, a physical abuse that happened beyond that point. But the abuse that followed me until I left that house was the sexual abuse. I was sexually abused early on until I was about, until I left that house. And that's probably been the, the hardest abuse to to handle um, the physical abuse was hard and there were things that definitely stuck with me later in life um, I think there's still some things like um, just kind of feeling on edge sometimes if someone moves quickly I flinch or it's hard for me a lot of times to look people in the eye. I think the reason is just remembering the look in Terry's eyes when she just looked right at me while she was screaming at me. And so it's always stuck with me. But um, the, phys or the sexual abuse, which is, it's still hard to talk about 
Um, but she would um, help me during bath time. So, and she would um, molest me at night in my room where she would expose herself. Like, say, I was walking past the bathroom. She would expose herself when I would walk past the bathroom because she would leave the door wide open. Or she would, if she saw me unclothed, she would just watch, stand there and watch. And... I don't really want to get too graphic with the details, but it would just, it was something that continued and continued and continued. And she would say these off comments during the, you know, when people were around, you know, she'd, you know, you knew exactly what she was saying when she would say, you know, different innuendos or different comments that would in direct reference to the um, sexual abuse and um, it was hard to knowing who else she was affecting with her actions and knowing there wasn't really much I could do to help and my dad just didn't care he knew we were being physically abused he even I witnessed the physical abuse and many times we would get yelled at you know the waterworks would start she'd be crying and my dad would fall for it and we'd be getting in trouble and she just seemed to take pleasure in causing us misery. You know, I remember one time we were, my dad, he was recording something, because um, he's a musician, he was recording, and we were in Tennessee, and we were all jumping in the pool, and she was floating on a raft, one of those rafts, we were all laughing, and having fun, you know, we were kind of splashing, and everyone was having fun, she was laughing, we were laughing, and then I jumped in one time, and I came up out of the water, and her hands were instantly around my neck, and, you know, it was just like, destroy the moment, you know, I remember sinking down into the water, crying, and I just screamed in the water, and I did wouldn't dare scream out loud because that, you know, would be met with harsh discipline. Um, so I had to bottle up everything. I couldn't express my emotions. I couldn't say anything. Um, my room was not a safe place. I couldn't. At one point, I discovered that I liked writing, and so I would start writing how I was feeling, and then my stepmom would go through my stuff, and she would 
shame me with that stuff. She would show it to my dad. My dad would get upset. They would make copies. They would tell the pastor. And so there was, I had no safe thing to do to emote. And so eventually, by the grace of God, and I, I don't understand why, but I got a guitar for Christmas one year. My dad gave it to me. And still to this day, I don't understand why or where that came from. But I got a guitar and an amp, and I started playing guitar. And that was the biggest relief. Because all my emotions could be poured out into that instrument. And... They were undiscoverable emotions and thoughts. It was disguised in music. And so that became my safe thing to do to emote. And, you know, it was it was good too because I got to play with my friends. It got me out of the house because I couldn't do anything. You know, I was very much so isolated. I couldn't do what normal kids do and go to their friend's house and spend the night or, you know, go ride their bikes around town or anything like that. I had to stay in the yard or in my room. There was no other options. So. Why don't you talk about pre-counseling, Andrew? What did you bring into adulthood because of your childhood? Hmm. Well, given the circumstances I was in, I was, uh, I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but I was very angry, very cynical. I didn't trust anybody. And I tried finding love in relationships and that never worked I would always get dumped or cheated on or left because I wouldn't have sex or something and so I never really had stability you know I believed in God I had the knowledge of God but it was kind of one of those distant things in my mind for a long time um there's nothing to, I guess, challenge and bring it out. So, I was a more of a cultural Christian. But, um, I was really, it's hard to explain it, but I was kind of, I didn't even myself know who I was. I was so hidden, even from my own self. There was like this shell that I had constructed that was me. I guess out of survival and necessity. And so that was who I was. And it wasn't until I met Sarah, my wife, that I um, discovered that that shell wasn't actually me. It was just a facade. Counseling really brought out all that stuff. A lot of the sexual abuse I had repressed, I didn't even remember. Like, I knew 
that I had been sexually abused. Like, I had that strong feeling that I had been sexually abused, but I couldn't remember specifically what had happened. I remembered some of the things that had happened when I was a teenager, but I didn't remember a lot of the stuff that happened to me when I was a uh, child. And um, reliving a lot of that stuff was really, really hard. You know, I was remembering an exact moment when I was sexually abused and then having to process through that for the first time. And that was crippling. And a lot of times I felt like I was going insane, which is probably how I felt when I was a kid. And I felt trapped like I did when I was a kid and angry and confused and uh, just wanted to be alone. And a lot of times I contemplated suicide. I think it was hard for me too when I was a kid, teenager, because middle school, they always say, is really rough for anybody. But um, I was going through all the things I was going through at home, being abused, and then going to school, and the girls were not nice in middle school. They would say a lot of really mean things about me. And so it was kind of reaffirming all the things I was being told at home. And so I was very, very angry. And I would take a pocket knife and dig I hate love into my leg over and over again. That was kind of my escape, I guess you could say. And eventually... I found metal music too, which was another, that, that was a pretty relieving actually in a lot of ways because all that angst in metal just matched the angst that I felt. And so there was kind of a, a release of anger in the music I was listening to as well. But in the same sense, it also reinforced a lot of the negative thoughts that I had about myself and my life. So it's kind of a, a good and a bad thing at the same time. Um, but going back to me, after I got out of that house, I was just didn't really trust anybody and was always in that fight or flight mode constantly. You know, looking back on it, especially now, having gone through counseling, I was definitely on edge all the time, just waiting for somebody to take advantage of me in any way they could. And the way I coped with that was just putting on this facade that I didn't give a crap about anybody or anything. And if you tried to hurt me, you failed because I don't care. And, you know, at the time it felt like it worked, but it didn't. You know, I was still really depressed. And I still would uh, turn to drinking alcohol. I struggled on and off with that from the time I left the house until I got married. And luckily, by the grace of God, 
I, uh, it never consumed me, although it could have. It didn't. What do you think are some good things that have come from what you've gone through? You know, you're on the other side of, we say you're on the other side of counseling, if that's even a thing, but... You know, and you've come a really long way. You're a, a totally different man than you were even when I met you because of the healing that you've gone through. So maybe talk about, like, what God's done to redeem your story. Hmm. First of all, I would say that counseling enabled me to be more of a husband to you. You know, it, I didn't realize at the time how much I saw my stepmom when I was around you, you know, like I didn't realize how much, like internally, I felt like on edge all the time because you're a woman, so you're my stepmom, and I think that was a, one of the first biggest things I noticed after going through counseling was I was able to function more like a good husband, a husband that, you know, wouldn't be on edge or push you away, you know, and we could, you know, just function like a normal married couple, you know, in the bedroom or otherwise. And that was a huge thing for me. Um, and then I think what really stuck out to me strongly as I was on the tail end of the worst of the counseling was I started noticing all these other people that had gone through some kind of traumatic event whether they were abused or whatever. And it really, I don't know, it just stirred something in me that people need to hear this story. And, you know, it's not like a if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. It's more one thing that helped me early on was hearing other people's stories because I didn't feel alone. I didn't feel like I was the only one that had gone through this. I was the only one that had struggled and felt ashamed and used and whatever else. Because um, that, that was huge. That's how I felt for years and years and years even when I was first going through counseling, but it was people sharing their stories that really helped me to see that I'm not alone in it and I'm not the only one that's gone through it. And also seeing people that had worked through their trauma and were functioning like a healthy adult. And that was huge. You know, seeing that, okay, there is some hope that I'll be semi-normal at some point and you know at some point it kind of did the opposite too you know it's at one point I was angry when I saw people 
telling me, oh, it gets better on the other side, and stick through it, and, you know, it just, it was insulting, you know. You go through different phases in counseling, you know, different, you need different things, whether it's validation or um, just space. Sometimes you just need space. You know, like, I'm a mess, and right now I'm okay with being a mess. You just leave me alone, kind of thing. And I think ultimately it was worth it. And now on what you could say the other side of counseling, um, I feel like God is through this ministry and just even talking to people on the street, he's um, taking this really crappy thing and helped me work through it to enable me to take this crappy thing and use it to help other people who are in a crappy situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's by doing that, it's showing others God's love. And I know it sounds weird, right? It sounds kind of strange. But he loves me. And he's helped me work through all these things. And now he's taking this really crappy thing, which he could he could just leave it where it is right in a crappy place you know like oh that sucks let's move on but no he took this crappy thing and he made good of it by helping me to share it with other people so that they can get out of their crappy situation if that makes sense because the thing about when you've been traumatized as a child and you've been in a really bad home life it's weird but you kind of live in this dual reality in a sense because all these things around you remind you of that childhood experience and so in one sense you're still living as an adult in your childhood home when so-and-so does this and it snaps you back to that moment and you react you know you're living it's as if you are living in your childhood home still and what God did with me is he took me from that childhood home and it was painful having to step by step work through and confront every one of those childhood memories and process through them as an adult, with the help of a professional counselor. And as I did that, I was freed from that memory. And slowly but surely, I was free from my childhood past. And I'll say it's not a fairy tale ending either. It's not a they lived happily ever after. You know, you, I still at times struggle I still at times feel depressed anxious overwhelmed 
but now I have the tools because of going through professional counseling. I have the tools to work through those things and not be pinned down by them for weeks, months, years at a time. It's a bad day here and there. And that's significant improvement from when I first started going to counseling. Another challenge that you've had is this kind of continuation because your dad and Terry haven't acknowledged what happened and that's something you have to continue to deal with. What's that like? That's really hard. Um, and I know it sounds kind of stupid, but it that's the best way I can describe it. It's just really heartbreaking. Um, I wrote a letter to my dad years ago, kind of confronting him and challenging how he treated us when we were kids and how he turned a blind eye to you know, being abused, and he just refuses to take any ownership of it, and he refuses to accept any of it, and he said just straight out, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, or I remember a couple of times, but, you know, that's in the past, and it's been hard forgiving my dad, forgiving my stepmom for the things that they did. Um, particularly hard when I remember at one point they almost split up. And she was gone out of the house and my dad took her back in. And that was like the worst, worst feeling and the worst, it was just an unbelievable thing. You know, because we were, we did tell our dad some of the stuff that had happened to us. And, you know, we we told him we didn't like her and he was just dismayed. Oh, she loves you kids and it was just, it was an awful feeling. But he, um, because he won't take ownership and he's... Protect, still to this day protecting his wife over his kids. It's created this tension in my side of the family because we don't want our daughter to be around my stepmom, understandably. And there's always this, it's almost unspoken tension. Um... My grandpa's kind of being put in the middle of it, and I try really hard not to allow that to happen, and I try to extend as much understanding to him as possible, and I don't really talk too much about it with him, because, you know, it's his son, my dad, his son, so he loves his son, he loves his grandson, so it's it's hard for him. And, but we still are, it's, it's a strange thing, but we're still kind of fighting and protecting Creabelle, 
you know. And it's just a really awkward kind of thing, you know. We just feel like we have to set these kind of weird boundaries and sometimes they're overstepped and it's it, it's really it's hard you know it feels in a sense like we're being dramatic overly dramatic about it or you know like this is ridiculous but it, it is the way it is you know we we can't really let up on it because we start letting up on it and then who knows if Terry might be around our daughter and we don't want that how do you think forgiveness plays into it it's an interesting question I think do I wish anything bad to happen to my dad or my stepmom no I don't have I given what they've done to God Yes. Am I holding them in debt to what they did? No. Am I using wisdom in not trusting them with my daughter? Yes. So I think forgiveness is it's kind of a tricky thing to talk about because it's, it can be confusing. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, Forgiving somebody is letting go of the expectation of justice or um, justice by on your own terms, I should say, because there is there will be justice, but justice on my terms um, or just holding on to those things bitterly. Um, by forgiving them, I've let, let go of all those things that they've done. I've given them to God and said that, God, that these things are yours. And I'm no longer going to hold on to them. And I'm not, no longer going to hold on to this is what they deserve. If because we're constantly setting these boundaries and having to navigate this awkward kind of family thing because of because of it do you feel like it's this continual thing like you're having to continually re-forgive in, in a sense yeah like um I did call my dad a while ago and we talked for the first time in years and the conversation didn't go well at all it went terribly and I confronted him about all that stuff again, this time over the phone, and again, he refused to recognize any of it, and just said whatever, basically, in a nutshell, and so because of that, yeah, I do, I had to forgive him for that moment, and I have to forgive him when I feel this tension with my grandpa and I have to forgive him when I feel like in a sense I almost feel like an outcast in the family and I know it's not that way and I know my family loves me to death and they don't view me as an outcast 
but in a small way, I feel like an outcast because I've brought to the open all these terrible things that happened to me when I was a kid. And when I did do that, it felt as if I took the... I felt like I was holding myself as a boy in front of them. And I was all bloodied and bruised and basically dead. And laying it on the floor in front of them. That's what it that's what it felt like when I shared what had happened to me when I was a kid with my family. You know, cuz it it was like they were at a funeral. You know, they were mourning and in disbelief and shock that little Andrew is lying on the floor dead. And so I had to forgive him for that too. So yeah, I do. I feel like I have to constantly remember that I've given these things to God. I have a running list of the people that I know who have been traumatized, either gone through traumatic event in their life or they've been abused in some way. And it's a long list. There's probably 70 people on that list. And I started making the list... Two yeah, two years ago. And it seems like every day I meet somebody else who's gone through something traumatic. I started a new job recently and just talking. I've met people there who've gone through traumatic experiences in life. And so many people internalize that trauma and just live their lives they don't confront the trauma they just survive and that's devastating to me because you don't realize and I can say this because i I've experienced it myself. You don't realize how different of a person you really are. Like you more than likely don't even know who you actually are. You can go through your whole life surviving. Or you can confront your trauma and live. And it's, yes, it's hard. And yes, you feel like you're going literally insane some days when you're going through counseling. And it's hard to balance, you know, if you're an adult and you have responsibilities, it's very hard to balance your adult responsibilities, your adult life, and your counseling. And some people... handle that differently than others. I thank God and by the grace of God, I was able to still get up and go to work every day and provide for my family 
and I didn't go out and do anything stupid. You know, a lot of a lot of sexual abuse victims will have an affair, will typically have an affair. And by the grace of God, I didn't do anything stupid there. And it's just, it amazes me. And it's, I can't really, for those of you who are screaming at the, whatever you're listening to, I can't really explain to you how God did that. I can't tangibly tell you this is exactly how God kept me from, you know, quitting my job or just staying in the bed for weeks at a time, depressed or going out and having an affair. I can't tell you how God helped me in that moment, but he did. And the reason I know he did is because by my own strength, there's no way that I could have done that. I mean, Sarah, you you saw the state that I was in when I was going through some of the worst of my counseling. And having a psychology degree and having been a caseworker, you kind of have a general idea. People that are in that place mentally typically are hospitalized. You know, they're typically not doing well. You know, they're not going to their jobs or they're not able to sustain relationships and they tend to do destructive things, you know, whether it's drugs, excessive alcohol, in and out of relationships, that kind of a thing. I mean, I had my own things that I went through, you know, I was, it was hard for us because I was really in and out of reality a lot, not because I was doing drugs, just triggered by different things, and, you know, he'd be in a, that dual reality thing I was talking about, I'd be in that second reality for long periods of time, not realize it, and then one day come to, and, you know, Sarah's in disbelief, or, you know, there's my husband, you know, you've been gone for a couple months, nice to see you, you know, so... You can choose to live like that if you want to. Or you can get help and work through it and actually live. Not be triggered every five seconds. Not feel like you're constantly on the run, on the move. You won't feel like everybody around you is your enemy. You start to see people for who... They really are. And yeah, there are people out there who will hurt you. You know. But the majority of people won't. Do you have any other questions for me, Sarah? Why don't you talk about a little bit how it's affected you as a father? When Sarah was pregnant, I was excited. We were both really excited. And then Kriabel was born. And... I found out that her screaming triggered me. And so it felt like I was being attacked. Every time she would cry, I would feel like I was right back in that childhood home. And I think a lot of it had to do with 
like I was telling you all earlier, how my stepmom, one second we'd be completely fine, playing, having a good time, laughing, and then boom, she'd fly off the deep end, you know, physical abuse. And so it felt a lot like that when Creabelle would cry. You know, we'd, you know, like babies naturally do, they're fine, and then they start crying because they need something. You know, it's not bad, it's normal. But at the time, it felt like intentional attacking, like she was attacking me. And so, because I was caught off guard by that, I hadn't really had time to prepare for that. And so, that was really hard. It took a lot of time for me to figure out why it was causing that. Because it would, I mean, my heart would start, I would start having anxiety attacks. My heart would start racing. You know, I'd be freaking out or I'd shut down. And so it took a it took a while for me to figure out what was going on and once I started once I figured it out and started talking to my counselor I was able to put things into perspective and for a long time too I had I was scared to even really touch my daughter um because of the sexual abuse I had gone through sex was so distorted in my mind and I was terrified that, you know, me just holding my daughter would, she would feel violated. You know, I was, I was concerned for her and her, her innocence and her, you know, purity, I guess you could say. And so I was scared. I was scared to touch her. I was scared to change her diaper, scared to even see her naked. You know, it was just a terrifying thing because I didn't want her to feel violated in any way and that took some time as well to to get over um but I've I've come to terms with with both of those things um and you know there's still there's still things that affect me now um but they're far and few between, and at this point, it's easier for me to understand, you know, actually see reality as it as it actually is, and not have the moment be twisted into my childhood, if that makes sense. What do you do when you are triggered? Well, anymore, it, I'm able to... For the most part, I'm able to recognize that, okay, I've been triggered. And then whatever it triggered me, whatever it's twisting me back to in my childhood, I'm able to say, that's not true. That's not reality. You know, in reality, my daughter will not feel violated if I change her diaper. It's a normal thing for a parent to do. And if anything, I'm caring for my daughter by changing her diaper. You know, it's not that I'm taking advantage of her sexually. I'm changing her diaper. And it's a normal 
everyday thing that parents do and hate. <laughs> but it's a normal thing. So that's what I I do. I'm able to... And that's with anything. It doesn't even have to be with Creobile, just in general. You know, and I'm not always successful. There are times where it either catches me off guard and slips past me, or sometimes I don't completely realize that I'm being triggered by something until later on, whether God brings it up to me, um, just when I'm praying to him, or sometimes he just kind of helps me to realize something. Um, or Sarah will notice and she'll bring it up and then I'm able to recognize it and work through it. That's why I say it's not a, I don't know what that noise is. It's not a happy, it's not a slappy happy ending. It's, you know, it's a daily decision. It's a daily choice. It's a daily battle. And the battle is easier now than it was in the past. But it's still something that I have to work through. And it's not its not like it was in the past either. It's its lighter on me. It's, it's not weighing me down like it was in the past. You know, I'm not suicidal every day anymore. I'm not depressed every day. I'm not, you know, hysterical on the inside every day. You know, it's it's more like, instead of being huge tidal waves that drown me, it's more like, you know, once in a while I'll get a little, a little wave that I have to kind of ride over. And sometimes it's a little bit bigger of a wave and I get splashed a little bit. But I'm not drowning. If you could go back and tell 8-year-old Andrew or 12-year-old Andrew or even 20-year-old Andrew or something, what do you think you would say? Honestly, I have no idea. 20-year-old Andrew, I'd probably tell him to get counseling. (laughs) And I'd probably... Tell him to not worry about being in relationships because that's not where fulfillment is. I would tell him to get his nose in his Bible and start really trusting in God. And I think 20-year-old me would understand that, you know, because I had the knowledge and I had a... I had a foundation. Nothing was laid on the foundation yet. So I think 20-year-old me would understand me saying that. But 8-year-old Andrew, I'd probably just give him a hug and tell him he's one heck of a little guy and I'd probably try, what I'd probably do is act like a father to him, because I think that as an eight-year-old, that would mean a lot to me as an eight-year-old, just act like a dad and a buddy, and probably play 
and just kind of be a someone that I'd look up to kind of thing. That's probably what I would do. As a kid, did you have anyone like that? I did. My grandpa. Yeah, I love my grandpa. And in a lot of ways, I feel like he's a dad to me. I didn't get to see him a whole lot. I mean, I I saw him a decent amount, but my great-grandma saw definitely saw us the most as kids. I mean, we were practically split custody with my because we were over there so often. Um, it was kind of like a split, almost a split custody thing. So in a lot of ways, she was kind of a, I guess you could say a motherly figure to me. I loved her a lot. And I, I miss her a lot. But I definitely think that that was God's love and, um, I'm really thankful that my grandparents and my great-grandma were a part of our lives. Because I think if they weren't, I think our life would have looked a lot different. It was really bad, but I think it would have been even worse. Because my dad, they didn't make a lot of money. They were pretty, they weren't, they were pretty poor. I'm, I can't say that I know for sure, but I'm pretty certain that my grandparents, great-grandma, made sure that we were taken care of. And so I think if they weren't in our lives, things would have been a lot worse. And when we did go to our grandparents, or when we did go to Grandma Willison's, it was a break from that house and they instilled a lot of things in me that have stuck with me you know I really attribute a lot of what they taught me you know whether it was strong work ethic or just being a a good man you know I learned a lot of those things from even my grandma and my and my great-grandma, Grandma Olson and Grandma Osbacher both, they they just as much so instilled that strong, strong man character in me as my grandpa did. And they were the reason that we went to that um, private Christian school when we were in elementary school. And that's where I learned a lot about who God is and who Jesus is. And why is important, and that foundation stuck with me my whole life. Uh, Sarah, I want to thank you for coming on this podcast with me today. I know it was really hard for you to have to hear me talk about my childhood, but I want to thank you for doing this with me. Yeah, of course. <laughs>